On The Regenerative Journey, our goal is to nurture and facilitate the lives and journeys of all our followers, which is why we've teamed up with resource consulting service, RCS, Australia's leading provider of education and advisory services in regenerative agriculture. RCS trains and consults across the ag sector, from individuals and families, through to corporates and even government, empowering people to grow productive and profitable businesses in diverse and, importantly, healthy landscapes. They understand that the future of healthy families, resilient communities and regenerative farming lies in holistic education. Over the last 15 years, I've played an integral role in my own regenerative journey. And I have a lot to thank RCS for, and I'm one of 7,500 others who have attended their farming and grazing for profit course. I don't know where I'd actually be, uh, and I certainly wouldn't be this far down my own regenerative journey if I hadn't completed a significant amount of training with the RCS team. I can't recommend more highly uh, RCS to anyone looking to start their regenerative journey in a supportive and proven environment. Terry, Makoska and your team, you absolutely rock. And we're also absolutely stoked to be collaborating with them now. For my listeners only, we're offering a 10% discount on all farming and grazing for profit schools and grazing clinics in Australia this year. If you add this to the early bird rate of a seven-day school, you could get a whopping $1,000 off the standard price. Simply add the code CHARLIERCS, that's CHARLIERCS, that's one word, at the checkout to get your concession. How awesome is that? Now head to the show notes to find out more. That's the beauty of landscape. I think that's what the artists get and the poets that I never really could do in any other way. They can do those things. A good artist can, can capture that and live through that, I think. Not that I can paint or draw or dance or sing, but that's, that's my version of it. That was Bart Davidson, and you're listening to The Regenerative Journey. From wherever we are, we acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia, recognising their continuing connection to this land, its waterways, the stars in the skies since time immemorial. We pay our respects to the elders, knowledge holders and to all the generations of First Nations peoples who have nurtured their unceded sovereign lands for over 80,000 years and continue to do so today. G'day, I'm your host Charlie Arnott, an 8th generational Australian regenerative farmer and in this podcast series I'll be diving deep and exploring my guests' unique perspectives on the world so you can apply their experience and knowledge to cultivate your own transition to a more regenerative way of life. Welcome to The Regenerative Journey with your host Charlie Arnott. G'day and welcome back to The Regenerative Journey. Uh, and before I introduce this week's guest, who you already know because you've already heard a quote from from the young man, uh, I'm just going to bang on about a few other things before we slip into a bit of an intro for that particular guest and then get on with the interview. Um, just a reminder for everyone, the RCS conference is on, uh, the Convergence conference is on the 16th and 17th of July in Brisbane. Grab your tickets um, at RCSC 2022. Um uh, .com.au uh, or go to the RCS Australia website and grab your tickets because they'll be going <clears throat> they'll be going quickly I suggest um, I'm going to be there and which isn't necessarily a reason you should be there but it's going to be a fantastic couple of days um, all sorts of people um, uh, in there there in person um, presenting and also a few virtual legends such as Zach Bush 
Um, if you haven't if you haven't heard of the bush before, um, a lovely fellow. I did some work with him. Uh, ooh, two years ago now. Actually, it was it was it was literally the week when the COVID um, exploded around the world, and he luckily well, got home within a few days of that. Um, this is from in, in, in Melbourne. It was, um, and then literally the next week, it just all went. Went batshit, didn't it? So, um, haven't spoken with or haven't um, haven't interviewed uh, Zach yet, but will be. Um, I suspect my wife's coming in very shortly with a chai, a prana chai. Anyone who likes prana chai, I'm not sure what this brand this is, but it's absolutely delicious. Um, the jury's out on what milk to use. Um, dairy's good. Here she is. What milk is it? Um, actually, it should be oat, organic oat. Yes. But I've accidentally picked up the organic soy. <laughs> so I'm really big on soy, but I wasn't going to Hello, tell you. my boy. It's Why supposed did to be you bring that? Daddy's <laughs> doing his work. Why did you bring it? Because I'm just having a little chat with my my friends, my Bye. listeners. Bye. See you, big boy. Thanks, mum. Organic oat. See, I'm still not sure about that either because I just don't know what else is in the organic oat and the other ingredients. Anyway, that's another. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't intend to talk about one's choice of um, of milk with with chai. I don't mind. I mean, I love dairy. Uh, that's what I usually have. Well, that's what I have with everything um, except chai. It used to be soy until I read some fascinating information on a on a website. I'm not sure it's even there still called Soy Online. Soy Online. All all sorts of crazy pseudo um, estrogen time of components in soy milk uh, don't have. Actually, it sounds like I've got it now, but um, you don't want to drink too much of that stuff. Given what I, from what I understand, um, especially if it's GM, GMO soy, that's probably double bad. Um, but just as a milk, um, <laughs> I think it's sort of having pseudoestrogen in it um, might kind of, well, there's studies suggesting that breasts, males grow breasts and all sorts of other crazy things. I don't know why we didn't mean to get to that um that part of it all, but anyway, let's con- let's continue. I think I've probably said enough. Let's just slip into the interview now. Um, I had some other things to say, but I'll save it up for later. Uh, we did talk about the RCS um, conference there, the convergence of of, um, of agriculture and human and planetary health. It is going to be a um, a ripper. Uh, now let's just get, slip into oh, just just a quick plug for workshops. We do have some workshops coming in South Australia. Um, I think by the time this goes out, we might actually be in South Australia. Um, so there are some uh, dates for Queensland in the sort of last couple of weeks um, of, of June. So get on the website, charliehunt.com.au, to check those out. Uh, there's probably early bird tickets still there available. Um, so if you do that, you're going to make a pretty substantial saving, especially if you – if um, yes, just get yourself along, get the discount, get the, get the early bird and see you at one of our workshops. On with the show um, – this episode's with Bart Davidson, and I've known Bart for some time. I actually heard about Bart. I mean, he's the kind of guy that you hear about a lot before you actually get to meet them. Bit of um, a bit of a legend, old Bart. And his, I heard snippets. Great example of kind of um, the myth and the man, and 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 what what actually is is true. I always only ever heard great things about Bart. I have to say, um, certainly for me days in Moree and as an agro- as an agronomist, I think I can safely say he was an agronomist there. Probably wouldn't call himself an agronomist now necessarily. Um, however, fascinating journey. Um, such a delightful fella. So um, we only had a limited amount of time actually because 
We recorded early in the morning before, it was on the second day of the My Grazing um, field day up there at Wilmot at Ebor in New South Wales. Uh, in late February it was, and um, Bart was good enough to squeeze me in just before, um, yeah, the field day sort of started off the day two part of it. It was very wet. There is some, I'm pretty sure there's some rain. You can hear in the background, there's a bit of a ban- bit of banter around that, but we um, we had an hour and a bit. It was a lovely conversation. Uh, I don't know if I need to bang on much more about it, to be honest. You, you're going to slip into the interview right now with Bart Davison, and I really hope you enjoy um, listening um, and learning and understanding Bart's regenerative journey as much as I did listening and recording it. Bart Davidson. Welcome to the Regenerative Journey and welcome to, I believe it's Lisa's Cottage here at um, the neighbouring property of, of Wilmot, where we are. Just come a little bit forward there, mate. That's it. He's, like, he's a bit nervous. It's like I'm a dentist and I'm about to operate, <laughs> operate on him. And I've only been to the dentist twice in 20 years, Charlie. <laughs> I, can, I can tell that. That's no. true. That's <laughs> really? true. Last week I went to the dentist for the second time in 20 years and what? she said, whatever you're doing, just keep doing it. Really? What do you do? Not much, actually. Yeah? Do you, you brush you brush your tussies, though? Oh, uh, not so much, actually. Really? No, I, I actually chew a lot of chewing gum, and I, uh, I, I, I'm always cleaning my teeth, mm. but just not in the conventional way. No. Not with, not with a brush. Not where I imagine we're going to start this conversation, Charlie. <laughs> Mate, that is not uh, a, a unique thing to happen. Whose black dog is that out there? No idea. Pissing on <laughs> I'm glad that what that fence isn't electric. I didn't bring him. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure it's domesticated, mate. Um, well, yeah, welcome to Lisa's cottage. We've got a bit of echo there, but I think that'll be um, that'll be absolutely fine. I come on, do you want to check? I'm not even sure if I can even do this while we've got the we've got the thing on there, the noise gate. Do I leave that on? I think I will. I must say, I must say, it's a very impressive. Uh, Bit of gear you've got here, Charlie. Yeah, well, I'm still dry. I'm learning to drive it. I've got my L plates on, even after two years. Um, there's stuff in there. I'm sure it does that. I just really don't know. Any- I should up- update the software in it. But look, this is seems to be okay. I can hear you. You can hear me, mate. Um, let's start by just. Uh, I know this isn't <laughs> your house or your farm, or the view is probably somewhat unfamiliar. Looking out at the what looks to have been maybe an orchard, or still is. I'm not sure. What. Um, Sitting here looking at nature, looking at, you know, what we're looking at, looking at some of the, mm. the um, landscape of Ebor, um, what does it mean to you and like, why do you, what, without all the detail of work necessarily, but what, what is it about Ebor and this part of the world that kind of brings you back here? Oh, well, it's not work. I, I shouldn't say that, but um, I, I guess there's actually a trout that changed the world. Um, trout? Yeah, it's true. I didn't expect to start the conversation with this one, but um, neither did I, mate. We're looking here at um, at uh, the flip side of Wilmot, and uh, yeah, there is a trout that changed the world. It's, Tell me about that. Let's do a short story of that one. But yeah, um, totally. Let's start there. I love trout. The, the reason I love this part of the world, and I do find myself here quite often, uh, sometimes not enough in some people's view, and, and sometimes too often in in uh, that same person's view. <laughs> Um, <laughs> Are we going to get to that person? <laughs> so, no, look, quite seriously, uh, my father was driving from, from somewhere to Brisbane in the 60s, mm. 1960s, <laughs> and uh, stopped up at Jock's Water, which is just up the road. Um, little creek or little... 
Well, it's the it's the third of the three streams that are the confluence at the bottom of Wilmore. Yeah, nice. And uh, it's the middle one, actually. And uh, Dad stopped, uh, camped the night, got wet, as people do when they camp in Ebor. Got up the next day and, and caught what is to this day still the biggest trout that he's ever caught. No way. And he's travelled a lot. He's, a, he's an avid fly fisherman. So, um, uh, long story short, he, he fell in love with that that drive and that um, that part of the world. And then, as I grew up, um, he'd bring me up here. Really? That's a lovely little reconnection then, yeah? There's a photo of me as a five-year-old, I think, down at the Butter Factory. Really? Mm. Which I've been to a couple of years ago. Beautiful spot. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The depths of drought, I recall, actually. And, and any time in the years since then, I would do that run from Armadale to Coffs or wherever you go, I would always stop. Really? Yep. Maybe put a swag out, look at the waters, think about the trout. And, and, a, and a deep love of fly fishing evolved from that. So that, that was obviously significant. Your father, that was a fly fishing moment he had, because I'm, I'm not a fly fisher, but that, is that the only way you That's can a catch bad. a trout? In my book. Yeah, right. Oh, okay, no, that's fair. I don't want to step into trout fishing territory. No, it's important, but that's, you know, that's, my, um, that's my go-to. Wow. And tell me just more the, more the detail of that trout. Is, there, is it for those who are avid fly fishermen, um, is, there a, is there a weight, a poundage that, that was significant? Apart from being the biggest one, like just to give yeah. people a sense of... Oh, it was a decent trout. It was a four-plus pound. Yeah, right. The first trout that changed my world. And... Uh, uh, yeah, there's a, there's a few trout around now, but um, droughts in between mean that... Uh, see, at the end of the day, right, trout are the, the indicator species in, in my book. I know that's not true ecologically, and, uh, and all the ecologists out there are going to cane me for it, but, but in this environment, for me, for us, for what we're trying to do at a place like Wilmot, if the water's good, mm. and if, we will not see trout grow if the insects aren't good. The insects aren't going to be good if the grass isn't good. If we don't get the grazing right, the grass isn't going to be good. So it all comes together, and then when I see the fish growing, I think, you know what, we're smashing it. Things are okay. Yeah. Do you know historically um, what the trout kind of population has been? I mean, so the, so the creeks that run through Wilmot and, and feed, um, you know, I guess larger rivers, Jumeric, so I always get that bloody wrong. You're down the hill, mate. You should know this, right? So that we are at the top of the Clarence. Oh, it's, you, you're the second biggest, the uh, The second biggest um, catchment in Australia, behind the Fitzroy. Beddingham. It's a big catchment, and we're sitting on the top of it. We're about 50 metres from the top of it. And I also know that the largest inland island in the world is in the Clowns River. Rich, is it the okay. is it island, Richmond Island? No, no, I'm not trying to show off. It's just because I might used to live on it or next to it. Um, so the where was my question was, oh, about, about trout. So one question, are they, excuse my ignorance, are they native? They've been put in there. Okay. We're going to have to No. No. No, unfortunately not. But, but look, uh, in this part of the world there's, and again I'm going to get cane from the ecologist here, but um, I'm actually a trained ecologist too, so I'll, I'll just step in there. No, they're not native. Um, eels, yabbies, mm. frogs, they're, they're native here, but we're actually on the eastern side of the, of the fall. So we're in this unique place where three streams are coming together at the bottom of Wilmot and we're actually sitting about 50 metres from, the, from, from one of those. And, uh, you know, they fall quite a long way. There's a lot of gravity. We're talking about 200 metres of fall down there and then it runs down to um, the Clarence slowly but surely through a number of junctions and uh, cod, um, the, the now near extinct and endangered eastern cod uh, in those waters, a prolific, beautiful fish mm. that used to come all the way up 
to the falls, essentially, and we're sitting at the top of those falls. If they came, what, some, what, hundreds of metres through the... Oh, well, the native cod um, are known to be not far downstream from us here, and the endangered types, and there's only a few places in the world that will find them. Wow. So we're at the top of that. The cod can't get up the falls. The eels can. There's not much else that lives in their native habitat, so the trout have uh, found their way around the world you know, for all sorts of reasons, but um, they're just a... Yeah, they're a sport fish, obviously, but they're, they're a good indicator of the ecology because you won't hold a trout if the ecology is no good. And if um, is there is that sort of even good good fishing fish, good eating fish, and uh, an ec- ecological indicator? Is there are there um, you know uh, members of the community who kind of think well we should a bit like I don't know you shouldn't have exotic trees in the landscape or or cattle you know saying look we should get rid of those those trout because they are wrecking the environment. Oh, it's not so much a conversation. No, I think that. The, the beautiful thing about this ecology is that it sorts itself out. You know, it really does. It's um, we've got a lot of coexistence between the natives, and and my end goal here, apart from helping these guys grow a lot of grass, is to to see a, a good balance between the natives, the eels, the cod, trout, if they hold their way. It's a mm-hmm. fight. It's a survival of the fittest game here, right? So, um, if trout fit, good, great. We love looking at them, but at the end of the day, it's all about the the landscape taking care of itself and us helping them, the landscape find its balance. Which we are going to d- dig right into a bit later after you, Bart, start me on your regenerative journey. And when I say that, it doesn't mean you have to have had a regenerative experience at age two or something. This is about um, Bart Davidson, you know, getting to understand your um, your life and the, and the journey you've been on and, you know, get, get, we will get to... We'll get back to Lisa's cottage at sure. some point. Sure. Um, I'm just slouching here and falling asleep with the, the, the relaxation of your dulcet tones. Don't do that. You would be the first. Just come forward. Just bring the chair a bit forward there, mate. Yeah, that's it. just to keep your, 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 your gob near that. Um, you would be the first guest who's done that. It's probably been a quite a few that probably wanted to right. and probably had to struggle to stay awake. Um, but I'll kick you if you do. I'm, I'm feeling relaxed, Charlie. So... That was the intention. Look, I'm not it sure might have been something to do with that row you dropped in your coffee. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, look, I guess I, I was trying not to think about this this morning, but I, I was. I think in my pre-dawn cogitations, uh, I don't want to do As you not um, Look, it's a good question. I, uh, Stu mentioned yesterday in, in his preamble at the fantastic field day that yeah we, we want to talk about that too he was questioning his why why was yeah. he up at night why was he up in the morning and uh yeah i, I get there sometimes and um oh look it's a, it's a long there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff there but um yeah i guess for me if i was to think of of one thing i, I can vividly recall um there's a lot of things we forget but i vividly recall being in a, in a donga in um, a little place out of Kananara. Long way from nowhere, and um, age. Well, I wasn't twenty yet, so I would have been nineteen-ish. Okay, and um, crook as a dog, crook as a dog. There's a lot of there's a lot of stuff that must have happened between zero and nineteen, which we we can get, we can get back, back, back to there if you like. But yeah, no, no. But in crook, terms of the regenerative crook, journey, yeah. uh, let's just snip it there. I mean, there, there was a journey to that point too, because yeah. obviously lifestyle affects a lot of stuff. But I, I recall being crook as a dog, working like a dog, working. Uh, I was the youngest guy on the site. And, Doing uh, what? I was actually a mine. 
Yeah. I was doing my version of Power of One. I just read that recently. Or reread that recently. Um, working in the mines. But um, Crook is a dog. They flew me out, and uh, which was a bit special because I'd never been flown out. And uh, ended up in, in hospital. They took a few looks around and they put a few pipes in the bottom and up the top and, and said, we think you've got cancer. So um, geez, uh, we're gonna, I remember the, the doctor saying, we're going to cut you from here to here. Actually, we're going to cut you from here to here, mm. and we're going to send you straight through this. For those who are, who can't, who are, are on the audio, yes, straight sternum down to yeah. God knows. And um, okay, so they sent me off. I went to Darwin and did a poking and prodding. This is pre-digital time, so it's uh, you know, I, and it was pretty pretty wild time too. That was nineties, um, like early nineties, I think. And uh, anyway, long story short, I didn't get cut open. They couldn't find it. It wasn't there. It was a mistake, but I was crook as a dog. I had a bunch of things going on there with um, my guts, and uh, it was just a reboot. Uh, I guess Charlie and I ended up. It was a confluence of a bunch of things, but at that point in time, I had um, just decided to to go back to to uni and to um, start again because I had been to uni prior to that, but I uh, wasn't very content. So um, I read the UAC, the, the admissions book, on everything in the, in the country, every single opportunity, and I thought, you know what, I'm going to go and um, understand this this thing, this, this ecology. So I went off and studied at ANU. So what what had led to, you know, to run us through all the detail, but, I mean, your your life in, in some ways to that point wasn't related to ecology? You know, why did it sort of stand out? Because it was such a foreign thing? It's a good question. I, I, I was a city kid. Mm. Grew up on the beach, um, northern beaches of Sydney, far top end there. My, my stomping ground was the Hawkesbury. Surfer? Broken Bay. A little bit, but I wasn't good enough. I was more of a... Don't say that, mate. More of a fisherman, but um, uh, I, I love love the uh, love the water for sure. And uh, I left home when I was 18 and um, um, I never really went back. But um, well, I didn't go back categorically, but... Uh, um, I, since the age I could walk, I mean, my first memories are actually one of my first memories is being down the road here with the fly fish. Mm, Twelve, and, was it? No, five. You, five, five, five. And uh, and Dad taking uh, my brother and I, you know, around the country, just walking streams, mm. walking creeks, walking streams, walking creeks, and looking and learning and observing and and just being part of that environment. And then, and actually, I never forget walking into an electric fence for the first time. It took me five minutes to work out what the hell had just happened. <laughs> Yeah, I'm six years old. I'm on my own, and uh, I figured it out. And then, uh, I mean, that, that was just a, there was a transition there where I spent a lot of time in the scrub, a lot of time in the bush, just being a kid and fly fishing. Fortunately, and uh, it just it just uh, became a, a go to that I never le- I never left behind. Mm. And so then, through time, you know, I, I was I guess I was very poor at a lot of things at school, but I wasn't too bad at numbers. I mean, science was a bit of a thing for me, and, and maths and uh, um, I had started a journey towards aeronautical engineering, and I thought, yeah, it's just not me. So that's when I, I booted myself out of home, and um, I went travelling and with a mate, four hundred bucks in our pocket and, and a half a ute each, and we, or a third of a ute in the end, actually, and then uh, travelled the country working on farms. And the more I saw, the more I thought, you know what, there's just something not quite adding up here because I'm a bit of a numbers guy, I can't help it. And, um, and that was a couple of years of Pretty wild kind of times too, but um, I guess at an instinctive level, I, I kind of just couldn't understand how it worked. So I wanted to learn. When you say 
it want to know how it worked and what from a numbers perspective, what were you sort of seeing that made you think it's not working or there's something needs? Yeah, we're shooting ahead here a little bit, but that's right, man. There's no set. I, I remember. Okay, so I came from a very um, kind of analytical, and I am a reasonably analytical person at times, and <laughs> I remember. Um, you're, like the, you're like the rain man, right? <laughs> no, a long way from it, but I, I remember thinking. I'm an instinctive person, but I'm also quite, quite analytical. And mm. so even so, as an 18, 19 year old traveling around the country, you know, you're uh, working when we needed to because we we're broke, working out how these farms worked and how those farms worked and, uh, and just being larrikins as we went. Um, and then spending time with people in their businesses as farmers, right? Um, you know, I can think of one farm up in Kananara where you spend enough time there and, and you, you know, you get to know the, the nuts and bolts of it and you just do the numbers in your head. The, the um, uh, three years out of four, if they don't get a cyclone that wipes them out, they're, they're making money. They get a cyclone, it's break even, get to a cyclone, it's all over. So those simple kind of numbers. And then you just look at the supply and demand, you look at the, the, the frailties of being isolated and getting stuff to market and then what people are prepared to pay for that. And then the, you know, the, the frailties in between, then the aeroplane spraying stuff, the, tra- the tractors putting out the fertiliser, the labour, you just run it in your head and you say, well, oh, this is... And then the land values, water, uh, the whole thing. It was, and it was a, a different world then too, you know, in the 90s. So it feels like it anyway. So, and certainly Kununurra is. And uh, it just... And, and um, the Burdekin and other parts of Queensland, the NT, where we work. But uh, uh, it just struck me that this just looks frail. It just looks frail. It looks highly... Levered and geared and doing a hell of a job, but it just looks frail. So, uh, long story short, I, I thought, um, you know, back, I, I wanted to understand it. I guess that's one of my, my downfalls and at times strengths is to try and deconstruct and then reconstruct and understand and get comfortable right on. Let's, let's do it. So, that was from, so you're looking at the ag world and farming and, <coughs> excuse me, inputs, outputs, and there's obviously an environmental element because that's, you know, Farms are in, in environments and particularly those resources. on the river. Particularly those on the river, which I love about yeah. where we are right here, because that's the end result, right? If the river's no good, everything's no good. So, so the, so the impression you got in that year was was this is not working. The farming sector, you ended, you did a. Is well, that I, I interrupt you. I, I don't know. I didn't. I don't think I concluded this is not working. I just I, I couldn't understand how this could work. Could work, right? I just Fair call. instinctively just didn't quite mechanically look like this could be permanent. Mm. And, and I'm, I'm interested in permanence. So I thought, right, I, anyway, look, I didn't, I wasn't that conscious of it. I just decided to, you know, um, to go back to uni. I cogitated on that. I went to uni. To, I went to the mines to make some money so I could afford to do it. And uh, um, it kind of coalesced. And so I found myself back at uni studying ecology and then into the, you know, the soils and all the stuff that followed from there. So, yeah, okay. So you, there, was, there was a pretty clear line of sight between the agriculture curiosity about how it could work and then then ecology was kind of a, a leap because like, yeah. it's because you, you could have gone oh i'm going to go to sydney union and do ag science that's going to fix yeah, you know? no, that's it. I, I was very conscious of not doing that for some reason mm. um, and i'd been to sydney and you doing aeronautical so i i <laughs> no. wasn't going back there so um <clears throat> not that it's a bad place but uh a lot of history um no, I, I was determined not to do the, the ag science thing, not that I think that's a bad call for those out there doing it. It just struck me as too too structured, too linear at that time at least. 
and and wasn't really looking at the fundamentals underneath it. But it was actually just trying to work. The, 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 my understanding of ag science at that time, at least, was that it was still quite. Um, um, it didn't know about holism. It didn't understand interconnectedness. Again, big call, but that was just my appreciation of it. And and so I was looking for those um, places I could study to understand that group of connections instinctively that I couldn't have, I couldn't have articulated at the time. And fortunately, I had my eyes on playing rugby actually. So I thought the Brumbies were about to get a go. So I went to to Canberra in the misguided thinking that I might actually one day play a bit of rugby and uh, well return to rugby. And anyway, ended up at ANU. Um, came under the tutelage of a bloke called David Demerick, who was, a, uh, I think that even still one of the, you know, the only, if not the best, farmer that became an academic. And is, you, is one of those Demerick's from up here? Don't know. Actually, I, I don't. I think he is. I, I think he. But um, anyway, he was a great man. He was a, an incredible influence on my thinking. Absolutely, and it was in the world where. You, know, you could actually get to know the guy that was running the course, that had written the curriculum. It was, a, it, was a, it was one of the first, I think it was probably the first, environmental management um, degrees in Australia. So it, it preceded that kind of line of thought. It was you know, still the 90s. and Anyway, that, that was a deeply constructive influence over my thinking. And we were looking at social ecology, agroecology, the, the underlying of you know, Ehrlich's work and all of the, the 70s kind of stuff being brought together mathematically rather than just emotionally. Um, and that, 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 just, that just talked to me. So I was, I was, I was, it was love at first sight. Do you, <laughs> that's a lovely way to put it. Did you, in either at the time or later, look back, and I'm kind of paralleling a bit of experience at rural science up here at Armidale, um, did you look back at it and go, um, you talked about holism there before, and you know, was it was the the topics and the subjects were they well sort of put together in terms of the the holism of of the ecology, or did they sort of were they quite uh, you know oh well this is the physics and this is the no. you know, chemistry and this is the no, we, we, that that degree I was very fortunate we we went back over the soils you know the chemistry the the, the chemistry was very strong and again being analytical love love chemistry soil chemistry soil science. Um, and, and and didn't do much on the biology, I don't think, because at that stage it really wasn't still um, understood to the extent that it has, has become, I should say. Um, no, it was more about the, the social ecology, I guess, if I think about it, because, excuse me, the the, um, the raw, brutal ecology of things is, is critical, but it's how we relate to that. And, I, and one of the things I can recall, and I'll probably never forget, is just that concept of deep ecology. It's not ecology because we give a shit about it. It's ecology because it matters. It's, it's ecology irrespective of our relationship to it. And that kind of struck me as pretty important. And, and then that brings you to question where you are and why, and why you're doing what you're doing and your role. And you, when, you, when you're dead and buried, what, what happens in between now and then to go past our own selfish appreciation of ecology and our place in the landscape, for those of us that are even thinking about it, to well, we're all gone. What really matters? What really matters then? And that's, I guess, back to deep ecology, and uh, and our relationship to these things really does. It, it mattered to me. So then you question everything. And I guess back to your very first question, that was the start of my regenerative journey. When uh, you know we're coming out of this, the seventies and the eighties and that whole social disruption of, around our, our relationship to, to chemical and and you know, the, the green revolution. At the end of the day, so 
Um, <laughs> There's the landlord. Lisa's cottage, yeah. <laughs> and she is good. She, she's on the top of everything. <laughs> yeah, no, without doubt. So I was rambling. I, I think... No, 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 mate. It, this it's, is, it's, this it's is, about the core of awesome. the underlying and not just being kind of shallow and uh, I'll get that bit, I'll get that bit, let's go, and, let's go and do something. Let's go and run something. Let's go and grow something. It's more, how does this thing work? Under, under, I remember being emotionally wrecked at one point when Paul Keating was the, uh, the Prime Minister and I thought, I'm going to have to write a letter to this bloke. I've got to, I'm, going to, I'm going to climb the flagpole in Canberra because and not come down until I get a meeting. But what, it, what was the what, what had he done or what were you doing? That, I should just say, I didn't, there's no big great story here. I didn't actually get up the flagpole. I didn't get to sit down with you. <laughs> <laughs> but what was what was the catalyst for that though? Like, what had he done? Was he just um, there wasn't enough? I, look, I guess this is another one of those kind of sliding doors that people go through in their life. But it, it just clicked. I, I had read enough. I'd had enough. I, I quit football. I, I'd stopped being a, a teenager allowed. I'd, I'd already done my travel. I'd almost tried to kill myself a few times in in practical ways, not emotional ways. You know, just doing a lot of silly things. So I'd, had, I'd kind of had the chance to get all that out of my system. I was a mature age student. I'd gone back to uni. I wasn't being allowed like everybody else at the time. And, and I was thinking... A, a, age kind of, what, mid-20s? No, no, early. Uh, early early 20s, yeah. yeah. Um, first person I met, actually, when I went to Canberra, was my you now wife. We just had our 25th good day, love, uh, wedding anniversary. And, and that was... Didn't you mean that was the other bit of love at first sight that happened then? Gotcha. <laughs> um, was she doing the same course? No, no. She thought she was going to be a, a psychologist, and she's she's still working on that. She's she's. I'm, I'm her. I'm, she hasn't got past me. I'm. I'm, I'm going to say. I'm man, the only project you, she's got in it. It's almost done her in. You, you, so um, it has actually done her in. So um, <laughs> uh, back to the point that I I was thinking about those things. I wasn't giving myself the time to go and uh, get drunk and play rugby anymore. So I became deeply concerned. I guess I, at an instinctive. Um, and probably emotional level, I thought this isn't working. It's obvious. What what are these? What, what does everybody else not see that I? Why can't other people see what I'm instinctively saying, mathematically and and instinctively and um, functionally? What we're doing right now in terms of um, you know the, the growth dilemma. Ultimately, I mean, the sustainability equation. Um, it's just not. It's it's, it's obvious. This isn't going to end well if we don't change how we do what we do. And by that I mean eat, right? So one of the, I don't know if, it was, if I can actually credit it to David Umerick, but I've always remembered that that he said, if you eat, you're involved. Mm. And that just kind of go, well, okay, I eat. Right? Well, um, that's not a dissimilar thing. You know, Joel Sullivan sort of spruiks about too, and, and, and many others, it's absolutely right. So when I, when I, when I took that in and then I looked at, you know, essentially I, I deconstructed it, I built, rebuilt it in my, own, in my own terms, in my own relationships to how farms work and how we how we harvest enough for us to be a society just didn't add up. So I said, well, we better talk to the top dog. And I didn't get that meeting. What did you do? You didn't shin up the, the flagpole. What was your plan B? Um, I got very frustrated, actually. I wrote letters and uh, I guess you, you know, you're touching on one of my other frailties. It's communication. I, I just... I wasn't able to cut through, and I so I just thought I do. I guess I did. I do. I did what I generally do, which is then let's go. Okay, ass, head down, ass up, and let's go. And, let's go and do it. Well, let's go and let's get busy, which is another frailty of mine. But and that kind of if I'm doing something and if I feel like I'm actively um, employing myself, then it's okay, even whether it, whether it's effective or not. And that's another one of the challenges of life is to to work out when it is and when it's not working. 
to to keep going. So um, I was fortunate. I was really fortunate in terms of you know, career. And you look back how how things work out. I ran into a bloke that was deeply embedded in the in the biodynamic and organic world. And part of my studies was actually I'd never heard of biodynamics. I didn't know what it was. You know, Rudolf Steiner and the whole thing. And I, and I read those those um, those histories and those well, Steiner's books and, and logic and right around. I thought there's something going on here, but again, it just there's a lot of stuff wrapped around this thing that I want to understand. So I, I, I read and I wrote and I visited a lot of farms and, as part of my studies and, uh, and became comfortable with it. And that was actually a stepping stone then to, to a bunch of things that happened in the years after that. So let's get, so left uni with fire in the belly. I'd say so, yeah. What was then? Well, I was very lucky. Right? I, I, I essentially, even before I finished uni, I think from memory, um, I managed to, Get a gig um, visiting a lot of organic farms as part of what was the BFA, Biological Farmers of Australia. And uh, a bloke called Mel William was um, uh, misguided enough to think I had enough um, um, energy and, and intellect perhaps to to go and do stuff that he was getting a bit tired of. And, and I was just very, very lucky. I got to visit just about every organic farm at the time and biodynamic farm in, in New South Wales. And then uh, as time evolved, I got to see pretty much most of Australia and, and Japan too for that matter with that role. and As a, as a certifier for BFA? Yeah, it was, that was part of the role, yeah. And I guess that was a beautiful thing because in retrospect that role required me to, again, in my terms, not, not necessarily other people's terms, to deconstruct how this thing worked and be confident enough in that that this thing is saying is doing what it's saying it's doing or not doing what it's saying it's not doing. More, more, more to the point. And... And I became troubled with that too. But initially I was great. It was just fantastic. I got to see some incredible parts of the country, diverse, inland, arid, extensive, intensive, um, frail, um, boisterous. And and that, that was my next few years, as well as um, you know, knocking about doing, doing other things to try and earn some money. But um, uh, I guess I became uncomfortable with that actually because I could see that uh, there was a lot of story built into the the farm and the businesses that were doing reasonably well and, and then I'd, I'd see them over time. I mean, you know, um, years, you know, one to five to ten years passed by and uh, some would make it and some wouldn't and I'd, I'd question why and I'd go back to the core of the thing that I've, I guess, been very strong on since then and fired through in my career is the underlying, you know, the soil, the ecology, the biology, the whole Caper and not being tangled up in the story too much, which is what I was seeing, which is what troubled me. Yeah, that's a whole other conversation. But the, I guess the point was I, I was fortunate to be in a place in time when organics was growing quickly. People were still questioning what is sustainable. It was that whole sort of fetal stage of where we are now with the regenerative gene. I think in my terms, because I was a young fellow then, obviously it was chapters and chapters before that. And uh, so I was fortunate. I got to see those systems through drought, through good times, um, struggle as well, you know. I don't think organics really hit the mark in the end. I don't think it, it met its its potential and I think that's because it was focused on what you can't do rather than what you can do and there's a whole bunch of stuff going on there in terms of tribes and competing philosophies in, in what was an open, you know, a, a, an open space, which, which is natural enough. It's evolved. It's great. And biodynamics was in that. And, and as soon as I understood biodynamics to the extent that I think I do, yeah, I was I was kind of all in. I'm one of those guys in right out. Let's let's have a go at that and get the get the water the waterworks going. And um, and I felt very comfortable with that. And and so uh, 
that never never really left. But but what what was needed was to go away and have a look at other systems. So you know, I, I spent a lot of time in in corporate farming and um, larger, more intensive, non organic, non biodynamic farms. Again, just pulling them apart, trying to work out how, what made them tick, and then all of that. If if I think about it, and I probably haven't enough. Um, although I do recall leaving out when we sold our own farm um, sometime in the millennium drought, I remember distinctively saying, I'm coming back when, I, when I'm good enough and when I've got enough money to do it properly. And, and so my, my, my challenge at that time or my self-imposed uh, constraint because I was walking away from something that had you know, five kilometres of beautiful river. And, you'd, you'd bought a farm? Yeah. Yeah, another story. And uh, uh, my... My reconciliation with that, because I found it very difficult to sell the farm, was that I would come back bigger and better, and and my challenge was to go and learn enough to to be the best, to be good enough to go and um, do this easily, because it was hard. Have enough money, have enough, just to be the best at what I wanted to be the best at, and and since then I've actually realised I don't need the farm. Um, there's enough farms out there, Charlie. There's there's plenty of farms and plenty of um, opportunities to to enjoy the what is ultimately. Uh, you know, sitting in the landscape. That's really what I want to do. So you, in some ways, without being sort of beholden to a farm to work on, you, you can influence and, 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 and contribute to the, the betterment of well, hundreds of thousands of hectares of... Um, it depends on the day and the week and who you talk to, but... <laughs> um, I, look, I, I think I live a blessed existence because I, I get to vicariously live through other people's landscapes and borrow them for a little while or step through them and observe them and uh, and ultimately I'm a, I'm a reflective thinker and I love to just watch how things work and yes, I get to, I get to share that with other people's farms now and I don't feel like I need to to, um, to own them or, you know. Um, that's the beauty of landscape. I think that's what the artists get and the poets that I never really could do in any other way. They can do those things. A good artist can, can capture that and live through that, I think. Not that I can paint or draw or dance or sing, but that's, that's my version of it. So, um, so you are an artist? A poor one. Uh, but what, if, you were, if, you were, if you could, what, what's your modality as a, as a good artist? What is that? I'm tone deaf. Uh, I've, got, I've got a daughter that's an incredible artist. Um, and another building, and my brother's an, an incredible um, ergonom- ergonomist, you know, in terms of design and drawing and so on. I haven't got any of that. I've got nothing. But, but I guess you know, you mentioned you brought artistry into the conversation. Yours isn't with a with a, a brush. You know? It's how it's how you express it, right? I mean, yeah. at the end of the day, people who are good at um, at what we socially know to be art, I guess, have found that means of expressing and communicating and articulating in their own way, whether it's through music or movement or. Or um, the visual painting, or the digital, the digital version of it these days. Um, uh, you know, I've, I just never had that. So, yeah, are paddocks, are paddocks, your kind of palette and your uh, look. Your the, the thing I love about grazing, right? I mean, I spent a lot of time in cropping, irrigation, the, the whole deal, which which I loved as well. The thing I love about grazing is just this mosaic. It's just this tapestry mosaic where we get to come and go, and it's constantly changing. It's constantly. Um, giving you another opportunity to, to take a different view of it and to, to learn from it and to reflect on what you've learned since the last time you were looking at it or a different version of it. How does this one differ from that one? Different rainfall, different, different valley, different, different district, different region, different continent. You know, that's, 
that's a very human thing too, though, I think, um, to want to know how we relate to where we are because we get to move around. It's probably one of the most core sort of human needs, but it's just that I'm in a very fortunate position of, of being able to um, spend more time than, than some, although less more recently, um, visiting, visiting landscapes. And, and then I guess my, my art might be that I try and put numbers to them that explain why something might be something or why something might have changed in some way. And that's where, I guess, I always go back to the data. Painting by numbers. Maybe, maybe painting by numbers, I guess. That's, um, that's come up along the way a few times for sure. And, and that is my, at, at my very core, if I think, you, know, you really did get me thinking overnight, why, do, why am, why? You know, this is an almost philosophical um, challenge that we all face. And, and just... I'm just trying to. I'm just trying to help your wife work through it. That's yeah, I'm, I'm joining a team. There, there is a team. It's a, it can be a bashed and better team at times, but but um, but but it's it's actually I'm I'm hesitant to say this because it's a bit wild for someone that's only just had two coffees and there's no uh, there's no alcohol inside. It, it's the meaning of life stuff at the end of the day. Why do you do what you do, and why is it, why is it important? Because you could do anything. We could all do anything. That's that's yes, selfish because we actually. You know, need to use um, energy to go and do things and get around the world to do that. But we have choices, and we're very fortunate to have choices. So for me to be able to do what I do, I'm very blessed. Yeah, absolutely. For more information to assist your regenerative journey, come join Charlie and his guests around the kitchen table, an online community of supporters with exclusive access to the regenerative journey interview transcripts, live online Q&A sessions, a chance to engage with other like-minded people and more. Go to www.charliearnett.com.au forward slash the kitchen table and we look forward to sharing a yarn with you. Now let's get back to this week's episode. I want to get back to that farm because that sort of popped up there. Um, but before we do, I just want to touch on um, referencing our mate um, Doug Avery, the resilient farmer who was here. So he talked well, about. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he was unreal, wasn't yeah, he? Yeah. Um, his, 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 uh, and you just mentioned there, you can do anything, and he sort of had the anecdote about the the flea in the jar yes. hitting a ceiling and a good kind one. of you know remove that lid and it, it doesn't jump any higher. Kind of just gets. Stuck in that beautiful parable. This is yeah. all I can do. Yeah, yeah, that was wonderful. Back to the farm. So that so BFA certifying, travelling around mm. farm. Uh, look, I, I had a period of years or whatever it was. Now it might have only been three or four years. I forget. Um, where organics was really busting. It was going for it, and yeah, I got to see a lot of country and 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 even travel overseas a bit. And uh, one thing led to another, and again, my lesson in life is equity. You know, so we we borrowed a bunch of money. We went into a you know, you know a, a good family partnership, bought a property, went for it, and uh, and started a young family at the same time. Although we already had part of that young family at that stage, and uh, and we rocked along with a cattle cattle job. It was a certified organic cattle job. Whereabouts? What part of the world? Beautiful little stretch of the Kudjigong River between Golgong and Wellington, New South Wales. Nice. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful spot. And, you know, we saw the lot. We saw the floods. We had the whole um, El Nino to La Nina cycle there and uh, and loved it. 
it was hard though. And and I was always away. Um, I guess probably always looking over the. One of the things I love about fishing, and and it it, it took me about probably I don't know forty years to work this out. Is the thing I love is always going around the next corner. What's around the next corner? I haven't seen that bit, or I haven't seen it like this before. And so the next farm is, or the next paddock is always back to that fishing corollary of what's just around the corner. And to the to, to having that farm, I was always looking around the corner. I was always looking. I was always working somewhere else. I was always interested in trying to, to be somewhere else. And actually, if I think about it now, in terms of those sliding door moments, I I only thought of this this morning. I'm thinking about important people in life, and I. Uh, I remember we didn't have enough money. I heard of this thing called RCS, and it was this, uh, they were running a course up in um, Kununurra. And I thought, oh, gee, I haven't been up there for a while. And I, I missed a few fellas up there, and uh, anyway, <laughs> needed an excuse. So I actually, actually had to hock the money to, to go to this bloody seven day thing that people thought was. Did you start Gulliver's Tavern up there? Um, that was the pub. When I was oh, there. but look, I know the Gulliver's Tavern well, don't I? <laughs> I know the hotel. And Charlie Barbagillo's pizza shop over the road. Uh, and I've spent anyway. Let's not go there. Um, <laughs> I had some formative times in Kununurra. I used to stand on the door at the hotel Kununurra. Believe it or not, I was about twenty-five kilos heavier. And you're a doorman. I was a doorman at the hotel Kununurra. <laughs> Fair dinkum. Uh, I, I learned a lot of life lessons on the door at the hotel. Oh, for sure. Um, so uh, this this um, seven-day. Well, anyway, I, so I, I hocked some money. That's how, that's how broke we were. Uh, might have sold a couple of cows maybe. And I had to go to this thing. I met David Hanlon and, and RCS and that whole... Anyway, so I, I became... I, and that was a, a quite a turning point actually because I ended up um, then working with David, um, you know, I don't know how long after that, but that began a journey of then going... being Instead of being a lone ranger, actually working with other people and and then being absorbed into the RCS world as well. And uh, anyway, it was a turning point. So... Long story short, I ended up travelling away so much that my wife kind of said, "These numbers aren't stacking up, buddy. You know, fifty uh, percent uh, of nights away. Um, mm. uh, I think we had three toddlers at the time, and uh, I think there was a turning point when uh, actually there was there was, a, there was one in the belly, one on the front, one on the back of the four wheeler trying to move some adjustment cattle that were worth quite a bit at the time, some stud cattle, and I was I, I was uh, yeah pretty good phones, pretty smart phones, and I was somewhere else." And wifey said, uh, "This isn't working." So, we, we, so that was part of the, the start of um, not trying to do everything, which, which is something I try and do. Step back. Let's actually go and live in town. And we actually went to Moree from there, and, and um, um, began an RCS office with uh, with Mark Morton, actually. And now I think about it, and Mark was yes, he was, yeah. So, uh, to this day, the only, only only bloke I've ever shared an office with, and. Um, yeah, and so we worked there, we worked in town and we... Was he, was he neat and tidy? Um, I think Mark would say that that was one of the tougher experiences that he's been through. <laughs> the office was actually at his farm and uh, uh, that was... I, I found it very difficult to actually work with someone else. And I, I, to this day, I've never worked in an, in an office with anyone else and, and probably never will now that I've you know, almost reached 50. So, so anyway... Um, we 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 learned a lot from running our own property. You know, we 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 had some terrible times with drought. Uh, we went through we went through the full spectrum of things, but ultimately equity killed us. And and uh, uh, I, I learned some good hard lessons there to to take forward. And and I then decided, bro, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna learn. Yeah. And so 
I was very fortunate again. Phil Mosley met David Hanlon, met us. Yes, um, was able to come up with a few ideas that um, resulted in you know um, growing some curriculum with with RCS. And I was again very fortunate. I got to visit a hell of a lot of places, learn a lot about a lot of different parts of the country, and uh, the journey just continued. Did you do you teach GFA? Crazy for profit? No, my my yeah. focus at that time was um, agronomy. Was it? No, it was. Well, David and I actually went off on a little bit of a like a, a, a forward scout ninja team from the, the GFP crew to, to go into the cropping, to go into the soils, to go into the soil biology. My, my very first day, actually, I was thinking about this too for some reason, my first day on the gig as a paid employee for, for RCS was to fly from Mudgee to Sydney to Melbourne to Perth to pick up a Laningham, to drive to Margaret River, do a three-day version of this soils thing. It was one of the early days of the soil food web. Then fly to... Um, I think it was Darwin, then Townsville, then back, and about a month, about about a month later, a couple of toddlers at home, and and uh, oh, no. and uh, but that was a fantastic. I mean, imagine that, right? So I've I've, I've just walked into Elaine Ingham's world, yeah. and spent uh, you know a few years after that. I think really just again deconstructing what what she had exposed to to all of us, and uh, and, and that continued. So I was so yeah. Back to the point. Where were we? Um, yeah, my, my focus with David was you know, the, the grazing thing was reasonably well understood and reasonably well worn path. We were looking at the the, um, the business of cropping, the, the biological farming. So you know, we had a thing called the biological farming school, um, the biobusiness farming school, I should say. And that was, more that was part of RCS. Like, was it, it, was, it, was, it was RCS. Sub kind of thing. No, no, it was RCS, and mm. uh, and it's morphed since then to um, what um, blokes like Nick Kentish and others are teaching now, but. Uh, and and have taken what we started off, which was pretty rudimentary, and, and done a fantastic job with it. But that was that was our parallel. And uh, I spent a lot of time with David, just travelling and looking and trying to understand these biological systems. And so, I guess at that time, RCS was also dealing with a lot of um, cropping systems as well. It wasn't just the grazing. So that was a fantastic uh, experience for me uh, professionally. I, I was able to work in benchmarking uh, cotton, citrus, grapes. Um, what makes them tick, what's the biology of this job versus that job versus this job, the soils, the, the whole, the food web, the numbers, the dollars, the people, as RCS does so incredibly well, to, to again, reach a, a point of comfort with what truly is, okay, this is going to work, mm. or that isn't going to work. And I mean, a farming system. Mate, that's pretty, I'm going to just do something. Can you hear that buzz in the background? Hey, what is oh. that? Hang on. It's the fridge. I'm just going to turn the bugging off. I hadn't picked it up, Charlie. I if guess I can I'm, get out of here. You're, you're trapped in your own oh, well. web. I'm getting trapped in your web. Here we go. I'll just turn that little puppy off there. That's better. And I'll bang it too. It is a beautiful view that we've got here. I thought you'd have an esky, to be honest. Eh? I thought you'd just have an esky, but you're right. It is a, a, a 1945. Yeah, no, it's a bit of age to it. Yeah, well, I know. Um, HMV, his master's voice. True. Didn't know they did a... I know they did record players. Um, so, I mean, were you considered an agronomist? Were you calling yourself an agronomist? Um, I never have. I, I guess at some level I've, I've always been intersecting with the agronomy world and I've worked with lots and lots of agronomists. Well, I, I have shared... Consulting arrangements with consultants most of my professional life, but I've never actually called myself an agronomist, even though. But that, and that's basically because I, 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 I point blank refuse to get involved in the day to day because it would send me 
nuts. And I'm more interested in the the uh, the longitudinal, you know, the change over time, the months, the seasons, the 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 the, the quarterly, annual cycle, not the what's going on today. Mm. That's important, but that's what the agronomist does, right? So. Although that, that's changing too, but, but but my experience of agronomy, and I spend a lot of time in cotton and wheat and and the uh, the broadacre, um, agronomists have a tough gig, right? Then they find it very hard to find the space, the headspace, to go and see all those things we've been talking about, and that's and there are some very good agronomists, but they don't get that that headspace to, uh, to 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 go and look for that stuff and to search for that stuff because they're they're on the acres, they're on the on the the hours, you know, to just to, to get to get around because there's not enough of them generally. So, no, I don't do that. Um, what happened next? RCS, agron- agronomising? Uh, well, I wasn't agron- I was, I was, I was a I was no. a consultant. I actually pretended to be you know, a trainer there for a little while. I, I concluded that I, I couldn't train. And I think a few other people concluded that I couldn't train either. But it, it seemed, <laughs> you to, actually, it, it seemed enthousi- <laughs> I was enthusiastic enough that people sort of put up with me for a few years. But... Um, you mean as part of the RCS t- yeah, t- uh, yeah, training yeah. team? Yeah, no, look, I, I, was, I was blessed, right? I got to... Um, uh, with and David, I mean David is the is the quiet um, or was the he's not he's just not long past. Um, the, he was the he was the um, the abbot to Terry McCosker's Costello. Yeah, a uh, very very amazing man. So mm. I got to spend some time with him. With him, and, and, I, and I would probably say to this day he's probably the only guy that successfully um, managed me for a little while. And. I, you know, so we did a bit of training and, and, and David was very good at it and I was very poor at it. And so I would increasingly do consulting and, and uh, kind of strategic work and, um, anyway, and things evolved from there. And, and at the end of the day also, um, uh, we teach best what we most need to learn and I, I found that um, I needed to stop doing that and, and, and go and do other things and, and be a lone ranger again. So that's where I guess I, I went from there. So what was what was Lone Rangering look like? I love Lone Rangering. I think I was maybe it's me hiding in a cave somewhere pretending, but it, to, to my mind, it gives me flexibility to go and do what I need to do, which is really just what I want to do. But uh, and that means explore, deconstruct, reconstruct, and and what did that look like? Well, I guess um, uh, actually, now I think about it, I <laughs> I got very sick. Actually, that's that's the other thing. I. I got sick again, and uh, I tend to do that through life. I guess we all do. Right? We heard about it yesterday. This whole regenerative journey. Um, again, wife, um, probably um, my better um, judge of these things. We'll, we'll always know when there's a crash coming and um, in, incoming, and I, and I crashed. I, so I, I recall having leave for the first time in my entire life because I was actually leaving a, a paid job, and I, I took leave, and I basically um, uh, what did I have? I had Ross River and a couple of other things, and I um, I just. I was crooked, I slept, and I sort of looked around and I um, said to the wife, we'd just spent an enormous amount of money in this garden. You're very familiar with nice gardens, and we built this nice mm-hmm. garden, a nice old 1920s home in Mulberry. As I'm, I don't know why, I, sometimes people shouldn't let me speak, but I'm talking to the, to the, to the lady that owned the nursery, and I said, um, we should buy shares. Anyway, a couple of months later, we bought the nursery, again with no equity, and... Uh, had to convince three banks that didn't know the other bank was lending. And uh, next thing you know, um, we own a nursery seven days a week with toddlers again. And, uh, well, I guess at that stage there's only one toddler. And uh, so that was a seven-day-a-week job. And, um, and and my wife hasn't actually forgiven me for that to this day. So we, we did that for a bit. And then we, and she said that within six months to the, to the 
She said, within six months, you'll be doing something else. And I said, no, I'm here. We're, we're going to do this together. This is a seven-day-a-week job. I've got it. I'm with you. Six months to the day, she actually was right. Um, we had a compost business down the back. Took landscaping, made it into composting. Next thing you know, we're making compost in the back of this industrial block. And then um, one thing leads to another and a, and a fantastic... Um, uh, again, and someone tried to mentor me and uh, uh, had a pretty good crack at managing me over time was uh, was a great guy called David Turner. And David and Betsy Turner were great influences on my life for, for a strong period of time. And we went into business together, composting and, and actually uh, extracting biology from compost and, and then into uh, a whole world of, of biology. And we had a, had a business there that, that grew and we ended up having quite a, a going concern and and, and uh, that was the next decade, I think, from memory, um, where, again, just embedded in, in the cropping, not so much the grazing world, but the cropping world, that whole floodplain, black soil, um, cotton region. And that was, a, that, was a, that was a hell of a ride. Loved it. We, so compost teas influenced by Elaine Ingham and that sort of thing? Oh, we did a bunch of, yeah, you know, I think about it now, we did some of the, First that I'm aware of, um, you know, liquid injector on broadacre scale, um, vesicular arbuscular mycorrhizal fungi. Um, How do you say that? So bam, right? It's just bam. It's just mycorrhizal fungi. There. <laughs> and you know, we had a uh, we had a, we had quite an amazing setup that um, I don't think will ever be replicated because we, you know, we we tried to do on a micro scale and actually became. You know, we had tankers and we had the, we had the full shebang and we were delivering stuff around the country. Um, it was it was strains of biology. It was compost extracts. It was compost. It was it was a whole bunch of stuff. And we, we had you know we, that was a world that we were in. And I think it was ultimately very difficult to scale that. Yeah, that was our lesson. Yeah. You know, why, why why couldn't it be scaled? Um, Isn't it just a volume? It loses the, the area it loses the nuance. You know, and I think that's part of the whole dilemma of agronomy that. You you scale and you've become that thing that you didn't want to become, and that's the challenge of this space. I think at the end of the day, because this needs to scale, but to, to scale those nuanced uh, supply systems, and that's ultimately what we're talking about there. Whether it's the seed um, inoculation, nutrient, mineral, uh, that whole package, and then how you do that, right? Because you've got to get to you've got to get it from some source of you know, whether it's compost or a d- derivative of that or, or whatever, through a through a series of steps to the seed or to the crop or to the tree or to the animal, that's a challenge. But get, getting bigger is that is an element of that. That getting bigger, you're losing quality and control and kind of, you know, but you're starting to look a bit more like a yeah, industrial the thing that you developer. Out, the thing that you set out not to be. Yeah, yeah. Look, I'm I'm not being negative because I think it. I think people have shown that that can be done, and I think that that will happen. I, you know, I used to, um, I used to consider it a, an attempt to decentralise what is a centralised supply system at the moment. You know, we, we bring in urea from China, we bring in, we go and make it now, or we, we, we basically have this very centralised system of, of supplying the agricultural world, and we've been trying on the edges, you know, organics, biodynamics, and everything since then to come up with other versions of that that are sustainable, and and they've always been a challenge. I think there's ways of doing it, right? And, and they are being done. And those are all of the things that you've been exposed to, all the people that you've been talking to over the years and all of the things that we've all been talking about this last couple of days and continue to, that, that is the challenge, right? To beat that very efficient system, which is inextricably unsustainable. 
So if one was a farm, I guess maybe the next step from that was or could be certainly the world of our biodynamics and what we teach and try and, you know, kind of encourage people or get people into is we'll make your own. Yeah, and, and, and biodynamics is probably the exception to the rule because it keeps the nuance. It maintains the nuance and that very um, you know, very detailed set of things around the, the how and the when and the what and the why that tends to get lost in other systems where people want something generic. And, and that's part of my lesson for the last 20 years is that um, uh, to, to, to generalise something loses too much. And that's one of the challenges of, of training and education and consulting and doing. Mm. Mate, have you got your chronometer on you? What's the time now? I'm just going to make sure I'm not going to delay you from your... Right. My back left cortex says it's about 8.01. <laughs> but I'm guessing... You're looking at the sun that's not there. Yeah. Um, I think you're probably about right. Oh, because you would have made note of when we kicked off. Um, I trust... Um, you were getting to, yeah, so burnout or... Oh, yes, burnout. Um, but we all do that, right? I, I just do a better job of it than most. Um, <laughs> you have a red hot go. So oh, what, did that, what did that look like? Uh, Lethargy. I oh, know you had Ross River for... Uh, yeah, that time, but another time it was... Um, well, the first time <coughs> mine was a pretty good go. Then there was Ross River. Then the, the last one was um, was Legionnaires. Actually, that was the beginning of, of Meyer, actually. So... Um, you got over Legionnaires before you got into that one. No, I was in bed for 100 days. Um, I'm, I'm exaggerating and people are going to say, no, you weren't. It was 99 days. But it, I, was, I was in bed for a while and <laughs> and uh, crook as a dog and um, had the chance to – and to the credit of some people around me, um, I won't name names, but some very – I was still living off consulting at that stage. You know, I had a coterie of clients around the country and, and they – I was just so fortunate to think about the kind of people that I'd been able to spend time with to that point. They just said, "Just go and get better." And and one thing led to another with a, with a, another line of thought that actually resulted in going down the the, the data and the software path, which is which is a much bigger story than that. But that's just my own connection to the yeah. big, that, that gave me the room to actually go and do a few things mentally in bed with a, with a bunch of stuff to say, right, let's go and talk to someone about how we how we do this. That's my my. State on right, so um, people like uh, Big L will have a different version of that. But basically, that was the big, that was the end of that journey for me in terms of running around like a, rad, a mad thing, and 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 taking a, uh, you know that um, that software path. So finished up at Moree, went coastal in all this time. Yeah, um, yeah. We, we uh, I remember saying to the kids, "Where would you like to live?" Because I dragged them around you know, for a while now. My wife and I dragged them around for a while now, and uh, and you know we worked in a few seven day week businesses and and anyway long story short I said to the kids where would you like to live if you had the chance thinking that they'd say oh, down the road uh, and they said they said uh, they said Port Macquarie and I crikey right eh? so we better go for a look <laughs> and um, uh, went for a holiday actually New Year's New Year's first week of the year uh, little place rented a little house for a week three weeks later we took them out of school started and moved it was never intended. I moved to a little place about, about almost an hour south of there. Mm. Been there ever since. You know, a little town with a general store and 200 people and just my kind of deal on the river. So back to the to my grazing, let's get into that. Um, so you, you were sort of, you know, you were thinking that's where you wanted to head. You had some reflective time in bed? No, it doesn't tend to work that way for me. I had some reflective time, but I was, I was consulting and, uh, and again, this is my version of it. Um, Alistair will have, and, and Bert, 
um, I believe you, you'll meet um, Bert, you know, in a cerebral world shortly. Um, <laughs> I used to play footy with him years ago. Is that right? Yeah. Is he a bastard? He would have been a... I, I'm not at liberty to talk he about been a good other guests. On. <laughs> He's a bloody, to, he was a good rugby player, no doubt. I would have loved to play it against Bert. But um, anyway, uh, look, um, I, I do recall it. I actually remember seeing smoke come out of a laptop, which is a first, and I probably haven't seen it since then. I, I managed to blow this da- database up that had my entire... We had a bunch of stuff in there, mapping out a bunch of crops, which is things that I've been doing and working through over time, which is kind of how I do what I do. A gazillion data points, and um, and included in that was some work that I'd been doing for Wilmot around the whole, all the things that we talked about yesterday and so on. And um, when that laptop blew up, Alistair said, oh, there's something not... This doesn't, uh, but what are we doing? Because uh, it was like in Excel or some other program. Oh, was it, was kind e- of- it was Excel Plus, right? It was Excel and a bunch of joined databases and a whole bunch of things that I used to do. And uh, and that was, uh, the conf- there was a confluence with drought and big decision-making and some really brutal times um, in terms of uh, learning all the things that we are talking about yesterday or our versions of it. And uh, one thing led to another where... Um, not having a digitised grazing chart and, and uh, uh, a, a universal set of numbers in front of a team that were making decisions around, some big decisions around um, stocking you know, a meaningful operation meant this is nuts. What are we going to do about it? Well, okay, let's go and talk to people that think they know about software and see what they've got to say because this spreadsheet thing's not working. Mm. Uh, it, it's, it works to an extent but it just doesn't work for... For once you once you start to think about um, the kind of operations we're talking about, so um, yeah, so so we sat down with some guys in the software world and um, uh, and decided to to have a crack at digitising, and that was the day that that sliding door opened, and uh, I've spent a fair bit of time in that that world since, and probably still there. So you started with with Al and, and Wilmot as a an, an advisor or consulting. Is that how? That, yeah, back to the trout that changed the world. Oh yeah, um, my world at least. I, th- I think it, I'd like to think at some point it will actually be the trout that changed the world. But that's just my very selfish narrow view of the of things. But um, <laughs> I, I met Alistair somewhere along the way, and Bert. I remember sitting down with him on a farm. Was it were you like fishing in his creek? And he went, "Oi, what are you?" No, doing? no, no. I, I was doing what I do, and I, I'd moved from the cropping world into the grazing world because it was a lot more predictable. And uh, I was burned out on cropping and and a, and a frost in August, stuffing up nine months worth of preparation and. Anyway, I got into the grazing, doing what I do in the grazing world a lot more and a, and a fantastic um, fellow, actually, Greg Chappell, um, said, you need to meet this bloke. And anyway, we had a meeting, we were talking about things and we and I, we just got running through how we do what we do, which came back to the, the chemistry, the biology, the whole fundamentals of how this farm could go from this to this to this, the grazing, the management, the whole thing we've spent the last day or two talking about. And, uh, and I met this guy that sounded a bit funny and I, I thought, oh, he seems reasonably intelligent and... We did a day of walking in here and doing that, and and I went off on my my merry way. And and um, a couple of times over the next couple of months, there was uh, conversations around doing something up at at these farms that um, this guy who talked a little bit funny was was uh, referring to. And I said, oh, "I'm pretty busy. Got too much going on. It's not my set, not my scene. Thank you, but I'm um, I just I, I can't do it." And uh, somewhere, somehow, it became apparent that it was at evil. And so I actually, um, I, I, uh, next time um, there was a, a chance to communicate, um, I asked, w- where is that farm? And when 
when it was explained, I said, um, I'll be there tomorrow. Because he said, was it Jack, was it Creek? Jack Jock, Creek? Jock's, Jock, Creek? Jock's Water. Jock's Water. So when I, when I, when I actually realised that, um, that Alistair was talking about uh, this, this beautiful part of the world where it, my link to, to the whole thing kind of started, I said, I'm, I'll be there on Tuesday. Wow. Um, and and I, I vividly recall walking around the farm and trying to understand the, the vision that, that was laid out at that time for the way that the business was growing and where it wanted to go and what it wanted to do and what it was doing. And um, and again, it was love at first sight. Wow. Uh, how many years ago? Four years ago? Five? Four? Uh, it was about 2011-ish, I think. So, oh, that, yeah, right. So, yeah, yeah. so it was just a, it was a consulting arrangement where um, Bert would do his very, very best to try and manage my time. And um, um, I'm saying was Bert was Bert was up here by then. Bert, um, probably not actually. No, no, he was down south. He was on his way up here. Yeah. Yeah. I say that because I, I can still recall um, Bert um, giving up on trying to manage my time. So. You might remind him of that one. Um, <laughs> oh, I'm sure it'll come up. So yeah, I had a consultant. And he might start crying. So oh, yeah, maybe some tissue there. Um, yeah, yeah. But he's, he's far too capable to try, to try and worry about worrying, managing my time. So we, yeah. So we had we, there was a whole there was a whole period of time where the job was to to see this vision through from what what Wilmot was at that. Um, that early in those early days of going from a set stocked, um, big, rangy um, uh, export cattle, bullock cattle job to uh, to what you see now, which is over a decade and a bit, a really remarkable transformation in a business, in its people, and its landscape. And that's the thing that I keep coming back to. And I guess I've been blessed to to, to be able to come back to that regularly, reasonably often. And woven through that was this need to develop this digitised version of that. Um, that set of set that set of steps and that whole embodiment of the of the grazing chart and the holistic management and the, all the RCS stuff and and we we just we were we were living it and doing it and we being the, 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 this incredible team that um, that Alistair has built around that operation and and one of the things that it needed was some software to sort of hang it hang it together and that's always an ongoing challenge but um, Maya was born from that and yeah so that. That began, I think, probably halfway through that period of time. I think it was fourteen or fifteen. Yep, and uh, and and that's been developed constantly. And we had a good demo. You had a good demo yesterday at the Meyer Grazing Field Day, which was where we it's day two. Day two, and you've got to make sure you don't miss your cue. Um, and the its capacity, and I guess what pops out the other end is, you know, sure. what what decision makers need to really need to know about. Yeah, well, that's right. I mean, Maya was born out of the need to to connect numbers back to decisions in in a meaningful way, and 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 then become so much more. But basically, um, uh, yeah, it's grown. It's become a, a beast, and it's uh, and it's filled out into a business that's then related to a bunch of other things going on. You know, around that whole space of natural capital that that we're not even um, thought of or, or constructed in in a way that you could articulate when that all began. And that's the beautiful evolution that we've been. Watching so yeah, so Meyer is the is kind of the, the thread of numbers that holds the. In my view, it 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 helps tell the story of changing landscape, right? And it goes back to that original point about um, needing to uh, needing to deconstruct, reconstruct, and then be able to tell the story. And if you haven't got that, it's very very difficult. And that's where I think organics and the whole original regenerative um, world 
failed because they couldn't tell the story in numbers. They could only tell it through emotion. They could only tell it through anecdote. They could only tell it through what if and could and should. I know there's some exceptions, but generally not, right? But now we live in a world where we have to be able to show and validate, you know what, this was the change and here are the numbers. This is how it hangs together. And not just that this is, this is how it looks. Understanding the patterns that exist within that to be able to replicate it and, and consistently reapply the steps along the way to the point where ultimately we're going to be able to say, you know what, um, this carbon that we're all talking about, let's, let's, what, what are the number correlations to how we graze? This pattern of grazing, this pattern of behaviour, this pattern of practice change, this depth of practice change, how does it look in numbers or colours? It doesn't matter what the decimal points are, but that's our, that's our, that's our space. Who is, um, if you can tell me, the, or the organisation that's helping you pull the carbon numbers and the monitoring, you, you know, Myers keeping a track of above ground, essentially? Yeah, oh, there's, there's multiple, below. right? There's, there's multiple. I mean, that space is growing quickly, but Carbon Link is a key player. Um, AgriProof is in the space. Um, there's some people in the States. Uh, there's a whole bunch of um, energy and motivation and dollars moving to meet the market. And, uh, yeah, and our role is to is to not just do what we do with the specifics of management on this farm at this point in time for for the for the job of um, a, a stocking rate carrying capacity and managing livestock relationship to, to supply and demand on feed, but then taking that further too, linking it to natural capital. Because mm-hmm. in the absence of that, you know, like we saw yesterday, you really are just telling a story that's based on emotion. You're not actually able to show demonstrable change that can be taken to the bank. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're dealing with, with a bunch of people, and that space is going to change a lot more. We're on a pretty pretty... I think, direct trajectory to meeting the market that is way ahead of us at the moment. I think the market's ahead of supply in terms of the, the whole carbon job. Well, I mean, just you know, what we saw yesterday and the, the breadth of, of you know, dare I say, experts and organisations and mobs that are offering to help farmers to get ahead, get, get, a, get a head around all this sort of stuff. I mean, that's a, that's a really positive, positive thing, isn't it? Oh, look, it, I think... Again, at the at the at the risk of generalising too much here, the whole movement through the seventies and eighties, you know, into the organic, the, that whole sustainability paradigm and um, and paradox, is kind of now just finding its its true um, path to something that that allows supply and demand, principle and ethics, ecology and market to to say, you know, what we we can see a path here. Finally, finally. You know, and, and how we how we describe it and what it might get labelled as with with regen or natural capital and so on, carbon, that's working itself out. The point is though that um, it's on the table now, and it's, it's almost like this, this perfect storm of um, of climate. Well, it is. It's the perfect storm of climate change, market dynamics, risk mitigation, financial sector um, change, and all the while there is this data building up on farms. It's a perfect storm. Mm. It's 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 lovely. It's it's almost terrifying, but it's lovely. So what's um again? How are we going for does ten past? No, oh, not to ten past. What is it now? You reckon? Given uh, what, you, what you know, left cerebral cortex is uh, eight eleven ish. But um, you know, prep for the next thing is is uh, again time's a construct, right? I, I've learned now that I'm not going to get the prep that I thought I would, and that's my next <laughs> my next risk is will I look like I know what I'm talking about the next time I have to do this? The next <laughs> uh, next hour. The next day. But right now, my concern is you, Charlie. And if we've got to go, we've got to go. <laughs> well, what I do is I want to I want to finish this shortly, and then and then do a quick little extra bit, um, which won't run over time. The general time that we had put aside, just how I break it down. Um, you mentioned um, 
I mean, this is. I'm, I was even thinking, oh, maybe we, we have, I've catch up with you some other day in the, your life and do a part B. Can, per, can per, I bring your bandana? Have you got a spare bandana? Do you want to wear one now? No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't take yours. I, 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 in preparation for next time, I'm going to get a bandana. <laughs> well, that would be nice. I'm waiting for one of my guests to turn up with one. Why didn't I think of that? <laughs> Cole, Cole Phelan actually turned up to something we did in Barrel a couple of years ago with one. Of, did he? On the, Cheeky bastard. Um, permanence. You mentioned permanence there before, which is really interesting. That um, mm. you know, I guess is is a why. Yeah. In, and I can't quite the words you used. It was you didn't say it's important to me, but you said it's kind of yeah. You made note of it. It's a great philosophical question in life, right? I mean, what actually matters? You know, sometimes my, my focus at, at these properties around us here is on the grass, the here and now, the uh, the animal performance in the here and now. Uh, you know, my relationship to the business performance in the here and now. What actually matters? Um, and it goes back to the it's, – it's a philosophical dilemma, right? Because and, – and then after that, I'll be looking at the – I'll be walking the water and I'll be looking at um, that the result of all of that in things like the trout where we began this conversation. And what if there are no trout? Well, it's because what we've been doing isn't working. And does that matter? Yeah, I think it does because – we then have missed an opportunity to do more and when we're all gone, what happens then? You know, we are all going to be gone and that is this constant dilemma about are we contributing to that because we're going to be gone. When we're gone, have we contributed to the steps and, and the incremental gains that mean that this thing, whatever this thing is, it's a, it's a bunch of landscapes, continues to survive despite us and back to that deep ecology concept that we aren't actually important, you know, as long as we're not the impediment, you know, as long as we can um, contribute and not be the impediment, we're going to be okay. But then it, back to back to what matters, right? And so that's this whole dilemma around permanence for me. Well, I guess it's, you know, we have the opportunity, whether we choose to take it or not, to contribute in a positive or negative way. Absolutely. That's our choice. Mm. That's, uh, and that, that's our life experience at the end of the day, right? Because every single day counts. Totally. Mate, um, I'm just doing this. Another, I've got some others stored up for the next one. Um, we oh, so much more. But you're not making it. Oh, what's your genius, mate? What's your genius? Um, that's that's a tough one. Look, um, and you can. This is not about being humble right now. Oh, I think it goes with the territory. <laughs> Um, look, I don't have a genius. I, I, I will say, um, I thought I was going to play for the Wallabies for a long time and join. Did you, did you play for the Brumbies? Did you, what, what um, the Brumbies didn't exist at that point, and I ended up playing in the under twenty ones. I actually played with some blokes called Roth and Larkham and uh, oh, yeah. Gregan um, for about a day. Um, they went on to other things, and this was before they were very good at. What position were you, mate? You look like a I was hang inside up. flanker, which is why I've always played David Baker. I was a diff- different version. Anyway, yeah. point being. Um, uh, I I was told I'd do reasonably well in rugby if I if I learned to be smarter about how I played, and if I didn't, then I probably wouldn't be able to play forever because of the way I played. And I thought, no, you don't know what you're talking about. I do, and I'm just going to go as hard as I can for as long as I can because that's all I know. Mm. And in the end, they were right, and I was wrong, and I couldn't keep playing rugby, and uh, because physics just doesn't work that way. <laughs> Despite um, kinetic force just doesn't allow for that in the, because the, the thing became professional and people got bigger and I didn't. And um, uh, 
point being, I used to think I was quite good, but I wasn't. I just tried harder than anyone else. Which is which still made you good. I wasn't good. I just actually tried harder than anybody else, and that was my that was my marker. And so back to your question, I don't know that I'm actually very good at at, at much, but I I will I will never leave anything on the paddock in terms of what I'm doing at the time. And so then I'm comfortable that um, that I've been able to give to that. And then sometimes I might do it in a way that communicates and, and often it doesn't terribly well and that's my my wife keeps telling me that's my job in my challenge in life is to learn how to communicate um and i'm i'm increasingly thinking that might be three numbers mm. and patterns well mate you've done a bloody good job at communicating today it's only your influence charlie <laughs> i just want to put in your coffee mate i'm glad it's you been, had that coffee. Been a pleasure. i've actually how? reached my word count I, I don't know that i've got capacity for more today and it's only, it's only just ticked over 8am so that's pretty well screwed everyone else's plans <laughs> well mate let's leave it there and let's do our little next little bit um, for our Patreon members for those who want to know what Bart says next that could be that could be like a that, we should have a show called that every month we have what will Bart say next <laughs> there's a few people worried about what that might be <laughs> the people waiting for you at 9 o'clock today um so if you want to if you want to find out what Bart says next, um, then please jump on our website, charlieart.com.au, and you can uh, it for, for I think it's worked out about two coffees a month. Um, well you worth can, it. Yeah, I reckon you got um, transcripts um, of each of these um, interviews. You've got the extra bits. Um, Bart's going to be our extra bit this month. This this interview, um, you get that, and also webinars we do once a month with with um, uh, with guests, and also opportunities to chat with me, Q and As, get to choose guests or be a guest yourself um, if you play your cards right. I've got to say that's extraordinary value. Well, I don't know, it's, yeah, I reckon it's not too bad. We're actually looking to reshape that into a, a bigger kind of a offering. Um, to a greater audience, um, yeah. uh, not to not to not to abandon our Patreon members, but actually give the world a better kind of um, offering for. And I'll I'll talk to you offline about it because it's because mm. you're in my sights in some in some nice way. Um, because there's a lot of people. I'm not an expert in anything. Um, I'm good at pulling people together and letting them tell their stories and 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 help facilitate them to help other people. So. Um, that's what we're trying to do, and, and we've got a good network, and we've got people who we want to tell their stories and help them tell this. You know, be 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 expressive. Um, and so that's what we're going to do. And that's your genius. Well, I haven't done it yet. So <laughs> I haven't worked no, it out. I'm, I'm warming up to it. I'm warming up to it. But I think there's a need. You know, I've been looking at the landscape of of this kind of stuff, and um, you know, some wonderful, wonderful people out there doing some. Just amazing things, and as we saw a lot of them yesterday, mm. it's like how do we how do we create an opportunity for for people to get that in one spot? You know, that's a pretty. I reckon that's an attractive proposition. Yeah, I think so, and there can be all different levels of kind of mm. what that looks like, and who's on board, and what they get, and lots sort of stuff. But anyway, that's that's another conversation. Right. I don't tell too many. I don't. Tell, no one's going to listen to this anyway, so no, no. <laughs> That will. Um, I can't tell uh, you how much I've enjoyed that, Bart. I've really enjoyed because I've been sitting here playing my own game of what will Bart say next. <laughs> Thanks, John. I've really enjoyed it. That's good, mate. Well, look, we'll knock off this one. If you want to hear what Bart says next, join the Patreon team. See you, mate. See ya. Thanks, Charlie. In our next week's episode of The Regenerative Journey, I speak with 
Bert Glover. I've known Bert for a long time, played with and against him in uh, rugby union, and I caught up with, with Bert on the back of the My Grazing Field Day uh, some time ago at Ebor. Um, he's all about natural capital and good, sound, regenerative farming, and I hope you enjoy that interview next week on The Regenerative Journey. This podcast is produced by Rhys Jones at Jaeger Media. If you enjoyed this episode, please feel free to subscribe, share, rate and review. For more episode information, please head over to www.charliearnett.com.au.